Well, again, we welcome you to Kingswood Church on this beautiful Sunday morning as we continue our sermon series, Abundant Joy and Extravagant Generosity. Over these last weeks, as we've entered into the stewardship campaign, we have been talking about uh, what does it mean to uh, experience abundant joy in Christ, to experience that kind of deeper experience of more than happiness, right, but real joy, and how that joy out of following Jesus leads us into a deeper life of faith and relationships, offering our daily lives, offering our uh, worship, as Pastor Clayton talked last week, and also today offering our financial gifts. And we, we've spent some time in 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, you've heard us read that every Sunday. We, we hope you'll have it memorized by the end of the month. Amen, right? Uh, but it's a very helpful passage for me, one in which I have not spent much time. But it's a very helpful teaching passage for us. Remember that Paul often communicated with churches he started with a letter, right? In fact, most of the New Testament, besides the Gospels, Acts, and Revelation, are a series of letters written by Paul or others uh, to early churches to encourage, admonish, teach, instruct, and all of those things. And 2 Corinthians is one of those. Now we have 1 Corinthians, which gives us a deeper sense of some of the issues in the Corinthian church, conflicts over food offered to idols, issues of morality, uh, issues of, of uh, people thinking they're better than other people, uh, spiritual gift issues, all kinds of stuff. And it seems like that carries over into 2 Corinthians. We know from the books that indeed there's probably another letter, but it's lost. But in today's letter from Paul to the church at Corinth, he has invited them, as you remember, to give to an offering for the people of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was in a famine, the church was in extreme poverty, and they had cried out to the churches in Asia Minor and beyond that Paul had started, will you help us? And it sounds like maybe the Corinthian church hasn't done a very good job, right? And so Paul has kind of admonished them or kind of let them know that, that they have not done well in making an offering out of their generosity, their, their extravagance, their wealth, that they have not offered generously to this offering. And Paul does what we sometimes do. Uh, he does two things. He motivates out of joy, right? But he also motivates out of competition, right? You know, like today at noon, I'm sure nobody's going to be watching it, but there'll be some competition, right, between the Packers and the Bears. It's the same sort of thing. And so the reality is Paul says to them, well, let me tell you about the Macedonian church, right? The Macedonian church, which has less money than you, and they have a rented space. They don't even have their own sanctuary, right? And, and they really are not really great at potlucks either, and they've got all kinds of issues. But let me tell you, the Macedonian church has done well. In fact, out of their extreme poverty, because they have joy in Christ, they have given an extravagant gift, extravagant generosity to this offering for the people of Jerusalem. And then he goes on to talk about that it's out of their joy that they give, and he encourages them with this text. So today as you're watching the game, if you are, let this kind of seep in. Seep in. And as you see the Bears win today, I want you to think about uh, this 2 Corinthians 8, though I know Matt Coughlin will call me today if that doesn't happen. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for laughter and fun, for, for good competition and a spirit of camaraderie and love as the body of Christ. We thank you for Paul, who 
wrote a letter to some people in a church helping them to see your call on their lives to be generous in their giving, certainly in their worship, in their daily lives, in their leadership and talents, but especially in their financial gifts. We pray, God, now that as we enter into this second scripture, you will help us hear your word afresh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's story is somewhat familiar to us. And I thought a lot about it, um, and I've, I've spent a lot of time with it this week because it's easy kind of go to Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee, and kind of spend all the time in the song and say, what a cute little story, and we see little Zacchaeus, you know, and it's all, but, but this is really a pretty powerful story. I, I thought about uh, several things. I remember being at a, a hockey game at Allstate Arena, and uh, the game had gotten pretty involved, right? And uh, and, and the woman a few seats in front of us could not see because some people were standing and applauding. And I, I, she and her son got up in those folding chairs and stood up and started yelling and watching the game. And I remember thinking, that's dangerous, right? What is she doing? This seems absurd. And, and I mean, you know, I thought, that, you know, what are you doing? And I think people were all kind of shocked uh, that she did that. I remember being at an event in Grant Park several years ago in which there were tons of people listening uh, and watching, but people couldn't see because it were just a sea of people. You've been to some of those events. And all of a sudden I realized people were climbing in the trees way in the top to be able to see the performance and to see what was being said and to hear. And I just remember thinking, that's really crazy and dangerous and absurd for them to climb up in the trees. And it wasn't just one. It was like five or six people hanging onto branches so they could see. But I remember one time being at a, a, a church, and I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to admit this, it was similar to this church, and it was a youth rally, and there was a great band playing, and it was one of those churches like ours where it's flat like this instead of like this. So if you're in the back and people are standing, it's hard to see. You know what I'm saying? And I was with my youth group from Rockford, and we couldn't see, and we were getting involved. And you know how spirit moves and energy happens. And I just decided to get up in the back pew and stand up. Well, then the whole youth group followed. And so here's the Brook Road Church standing and stomping on pews. I'm sure how the trustees love that, right? And I remember people around me looking at me like, who are you, right? This is crazy. You're the pastor. How could you be standing in the back in our pews? But the joy had just led me to jump up and be able to see. So then when I hear the story today, I get a little deeper sense and don't move so quickly to criticize Zacchaeus for getting up in a tree because sometimes when we're filled with that kind of joy, we're going to do anything we can to witness what is happening? Jesus has just healed the blind man, a story we read some time back as he entered Jerusalem. And remember, the blind man wanted to see Jesus, right? He wanted to see again. So this is important, that this healing of the blind man, what do you want me to do, Lord? Uh, Jesus said to him, and he said, I want to see. I want to see, Right? So it's after this healing story that Jesus actually enters Jericho, uh, a, a city you're, it's known for the wall that came down, remember? You know the story. And he, he was passing through the city, and as he's traveling along Main Street, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, 
you and I hear that, and we kind of move on because we're ready to sing Zacchaeus was a wheat, right? We want the little fun part. But this is kind of critical. Chief tax collector gets mentioned nowhere else in the New Testament. And if you remember earlier in Luke, Jesus called a guy named Levi or Matthew who was a, oh, please, friends, come on. Matthew, Levi, who was a, oh, good, you're great. But he was not a chief tax collector. Now, let's, let's learn a little bit about taxes, tax collecting, and the IRS and the Roman Empire. Amen? You ready? Okay. This is how it goes. So the Roman Empire collected taxes, both on property and a variety of other things. But they especially loved to charge tolls and taxes on people traveling and on goods transported. Especially farm products as they moved out of a certain region. If a farmer thought he could get better prices over here, if he moved across a certain line, there was a toll. The Roman Empire had too many people to control and too many territories to govern, so they were pretty smart. Those Roman officials, uh, you know, contracted it out. They farmed it out, frankly. So they would hire local people to collect the taxes and the tolls, and then, therefore, those folks were employed by the empire. Now, remember, that, that all sounds good, right? But here's what would happen. The person who agreed to contract had to pay the amount up front, okay? So they had to pay so much up front, and then they could charge whatever they wanted, including money for their own profit. And you can see how that recipe is not going to go well in many places, right? And that's exactly what happened. So tax collectors were already not well-loved people, and we know that from the beginning of, of Luke and the calling of uh, Matthew, because people are upset that Jesus associates with... Right, indeed. So anyway, it's interesting that we know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. So he probably governs other tax collectors. And the last word is he was rich. So he's clearly benefited from this piece. Now, in, in Rome as a whole, this was still an issue, and people didn't like tax collectors. But in, in Judaism in particular, tax collectors for the Roman Empire were especially detested. Why? They collected money to pay the Romans who occupied Jew, Jewish territory, right? You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't not only that we're paying taxes, but we're paying taxes to the people who are controlling us, right? And then two, by associating with Gentiles, non-Jews, these tax collectors were unclean and really shouldn't have been involved in religious lives. So you see the complexities of, of associating with a tax collector, and so I'm sure when Zacchaeus begins to show up on the scene, people are upset. Connie Mitchell goes, what's he doing here, right? And why did he show up? And I'm sure they have some real problems. But listen to what happens to Zacchaeus. So here's a rich tax collector who works for the empire, probably well-known, maybe on the chamber board, you know what I'm saying? And, and this is what he does. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature... I take offense to that. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. Now we read that and try to then go back to the little song, you know. But the reality is there's something interesting that's already happening to Zacchaeus in the story. Zacchaeus is a prominent, wealthy, chief tax collector. And yet he's willing to run. And in the ancient world, grown men did not run. Right. These marathons and stuff, that was all for the athletes. Well-known business people did not run. I like that idea. Amen, right? Okay. 
But anyway, so Zacchaeus is not only running, but because he's short in stature and cannot see above the crowd, he, now remember, a prominent guy, right? He climbs up a sycamore tree. Now, I don't know about you, but most officials and most IRS folks that I know are not going to climb a sycamore tree. Amen? Sycamore trees were evergreens that were pretty tall. Interestingly enough, they produce a very bizarre little low-grade fig that in the ancient world was often the food of the poor. Isn't that interesting? So Zacchaeus climbs the sycamore tree, and it's pretty tall, so he gets up pretty high. And I'm sure everybody's like, wow, here's Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. What's happened to him? He's not only running, because grown men don't run, and he's climbed this tree, and he's up in the branches. He looks ridiculous, and I'm sure everybody had their phone out, and I'm sure Instagram was flooded. Look at this tax collector. But something's happened to Zacchaeus that he's willing to risk his reputation as he climbed up in the tree. When Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, so Jesus knows Zacchaeus is there. Now maybe it's because he's been watching his Instagram account and it can't be avoided, right? But whatever the case, Jesus knows he's there. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say, could I stay at your house today? Or could I join you at your house today? I must. It's an imperative. Stay at your house today. I don't know if you have any relatives like that, do you? Who invite themselves to your house? We're online, so I won't say which relative it is, right? But my family has a relative where this particular relative just shows up and stays for hours. Anybody have that person in their family or friends like that? Just invite themselves. Jesus is kind of like that. Zacchaeus, I'm coming over. I'm going to stay at your house. In fact, it's not an invitation. I must stay at your house today. But Zacchaeus is deeply moved by that. So he hurried down the tree, and he was happy to welcome him. In one translation, he was full of joy to welcome Jesus. Do you see the joy that's come in his life? He's been willing to sacrifice his reputation. He's ran, and grown men don't run, and he's climbed a tree with low-grade figs that fig newtons are never made from. You see what I'm saying? It's off the charts. He is so excited that Jesus is coming to his house. But like so often, the people around it can't see the joy. Sometimes that's you and me. You know that, right? We move quick to criticism instead of quick to celebration. And all who saw it begin to grumble, right? And they said, Jesus has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And so they're shocked that Jesus would spend any time with a sinner, especially a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus stood there. I'm sure he got a sense of the grumbling. I'm sure he got a sense of the critical looks I'm sure he had received those before, maybe duly warranted. But Zacchaeus stood there according to Scripture and said to the Lord, All of a sudden, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Friends, that's extravagance, right? Four times as much? I'll repay half of, you know what I'm saying? The Levitical law in Leviticus and Numbers didn't require this kind of generosity when one confessed their fraud, right? They had to repay 20% plus, but not like this. 
And in many ways, you see that Zacchaeus' heart has been transformed and changed by Jesus saying, I must stay with you today. That that act of hospitality, that act of relationship, that act of radical grace and love for Zacchaeus fills his heart and he responds in a way that's beyond generous and beyond extravagant. It's out of control. And then Jesus says this, Today, today, Luke uses that word periodically. Remember, today, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled when Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. Today, you see what I'm saying? It's not coming down the line. It's not something we wait for. It's happening today. Today, salvation has come to this household Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. Jesus says to the crowd in their grumbling, in their critique, in their judgment of of Zacchaeus. He says because Zacchaeus' heart has been changed. Zacchaeus has been saved. Amen? His life has been transformed. And not only has Zacchaeus been changed, but somehow the whole household has been changed. And that happens in Luke and in Acts, which Luke wrote all the time. One person comes to Jesus, but then the whole family, the whole household experiences the salvation of Jesus. Man, that would have been a great amen. Could you give me one, please? The whole household has been saved. They've all come to follow Christ. Their lives have been changed. Zacchaeus is responding generously. And that salvation just doesn't come to the household. Think of the poor who will receive those gifts. Amen? Think of the folks who have been defrauded who will be restored. Think about the way that Zacchaeus will now work and live as a tax collector because Jesus has changed his heart. Today! Today! Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month. Not in three years. But Today, salvation has come to this household. And then in all the grumbling and all the critique, Jesus says, I didn't come to hang out with the in crowd. Amen? That could be us. Jesus says, I came to save the lost. I came to call the church to build relationships with people in need of hope and joy. I came to remind James Preston and maybe some of you that it's not about me, but it's about them. That salvation in our own lives changes us as we follow Jesus. And then it's not out of obligation, it's not out of guilt, but it's out of abundant joy that we offer ourselves, our worship, and our generous gifts to others for the transformation of the world. Amen? So we come to stewardship, and we, next week will be Commitment Sunday, and we will talk about uh, ways that we'll commit our financial gifts. We'll commit our spiritual gifts next week. We'll commit our time and our talents and who we are, but we talk about money here. Amen? Jesus talked about money a lot, right? And so I invite you to be in a spirit of prayer and thought and discernment about how abundant joy in Jesus has transformed you to offer financial gifts to the church and to the mission of Jesus. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of that you love the commitment card, not out of, though all of those things may play, 
but out of abundant joy. I didn't know that when I started out. My parents would give me money to make an offering, and then when I had my allowance, we were required to give some to that, much like Pastor Clayton said last week, and I'm grateful for the training that came in that arena. But I will tell you, it was much later in life that I, I moved from giving out of obligation and giving out of joy. It was, first of all, dealing with credit card debt that I had. I've told you that before. I let it get out of control. I had student loan debt. Anybody? Amen? And I just kept thinking it was going to disappear. And so finally one of my friends said, you got to deal with this. And I did. And it was only when I began to release myself from financial indebtedness that I could see the joy of being able to share generous gifts so that the world could be transformed because I love Jesus. Amen? And I want to be generous. And so that's why I eventually moved to a tithe, which is a biblical concept of 10% of my income. And originally it was net income, and now I've moved to gross income because I really, really want to do that, not because I'm needing to or have to, because I want to. I don't tell you that to brag. Don't hear that. I tell you that as an example of just how my life was transformed so that I could give more generously to the mission of Jesus. But all of this is about something powerful. It's less, it's less about a little song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, right? This man's life was changed, radically changed, because he surrendered. He surrendered his former life to Jesus. He surrendered his very soul to Jesus. He was willing to surrender his reputation, his status, to run. And you know grown men don't run. And he climbed a silly tree because he was willing to surrender all of that to follow Jesus. Surrender. Surrender.